Ah, the reset button. It's a cliche to be sure, but these days everybody seems to want one. CEOs justifying a dismal earnings report, diplomats looking to move beyond a geopolitical conflict, coaches bouncing back from a disappointing season, even state legislators reeling from an unprecedented public backlash. Hi, I'm John Schwannis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll look at the reset button the General Assembly tried to hit this week in the wake of the uproar over the signing and supposed fix of the so-called Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Not that lawmakers had much choice. With the end of the 2015 session less than three weeks away, they still have plenty of unfinished business to address, including, most notably, the adoption of a two-year state budget. Here with an overview is WFYI's Christopher Ayers. Just three months ago, Governor Mike Pence stood before the General Assembly laying out his agenda for the upcoming session. He called for increased road funding and a balanced budget constitutional amendment, but most of the 2015 State of the State dealt with one particular thing. Let's agree here and now, Republican and Democrat alike, that this will be an education session of the Indiana General Assembly, and we will improve our schools for all of our kids. Now, as this so-called education session nears its end, there's been plenty of debate about education, but much remains unresolved, and it remains unclear how much of the rest of the governor's agenda will actually be realized. One of his major proposals that would have changed the tax structure for Hoosier manufacturers has met resistance from all sides. But a proposal to provide regional funding for economic development has made considerable headway. But it's been a few words unmentioned in the governor's address that's dominated much debate this session, those being Glenda Ritz and religious freedom. First, the struggle over state education policy control between the governor and state superintendent Glenda Ritz dominated much of the session's first half. Then the post-signing backlash over Indiana's Religious Freedom Restoration Act postponed a week of late session activity as legislative leaders scrambled to amend the law as businesses threatened a statewide boycott ahead of the NCAA men's basketball Final Four. A Senate bill that would allow the State Board of Education to elect its own chair but that would also change the way board members are appointed, still must be considered by the House. The debate that bill sparked has largely died down, but it's set to resume as the House moved to consider sending it to the governor. And on top of that, the Senate still must consider the state's biennial budget. So with little time remaining in this legislative session, much work still remains. For Indiana Lawmakers, I'm Christopher Ayers. Thanks, Christopher. Back in a moment with our weekly roundtable discussion. Indiana lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue researchers are finding new ways to treat cancer, provide drug-free therapies, advance wound repairs, reduce chronic illness symptoms, helping people, changing lives. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. This session, members of the Indiana House introduced 666 bills and sent 176 of them to the Senate for consideration, while members of the Senate put forth 567 bills and advanced 221. More than three months into the 2015 session, however, ask any 10 people on the street what the General Assembly has accomplished thus far, and fair or not, you're likely to get an earful about the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Lawmakers have until April 29 to cement or alter the public's perception of this year's session. And this week, after a short break, they return to the State House and turn their attention to some of the major issues still outstanding. 
Joining me to talk about the work that remains and how it might be affected by the recent uproar are Republican Senator Brant Hirschman of Buck Creek, the Senate's majority floor leader, Democratic Senator Mark Stoops of Bloomington, Republican Representative Judd McMillan of Brookville, the House majority floor leader, and Democratic Representative Carly Maser of Indianapolis. And I thank you all for uh, being here for this discussion. Senator, let's, st let's start with you. You know, we had the final four. That's out of the way now. We've got the final three now, which is referring, I guess, to three weeks. When we look back on this in a few months, which of those two things will be chalked up as the more suspenseful, the more, uh, shall we say, controversial? Well, obviously the final three weeks because there was no Indiana team in the final four. <laughs> so we're going to put that all, all behind us. But in, in truth, there are a number of very good things happening in the General Assembly. Obviously, we discuss the issues that are of great controversy. That's more exciting, and, and it's good for, to have a public debate. But half of the bills we pass are unanimous. Uh, virtually all of them have bipartisan support, and there are many of them that are going to have a real impact on Hoosiers' lives that uh, people don't know about yet in, in many different ways. So uh, it's going to be, a, uh, I think, a, a win for a session once people see some of the hard work we've been doing. And Senator Stoops, would you agree, or, or would you say that it's a foregone conclusion that uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act will be forever linked, for better or worse, to this session? I don't think we'll be able to get past that perception of Indiana for a while, and I think we need to do a lot of work to recover from that. Uh, not to mention the fact that it did stall out uh, many of the session days uh, last week. Uh, but we did keep on track. I think a number of bills did get passed. And I would have to agree with Senator Hirschman that uh, we, there is bipartisan support for most bills that have actually passed. Uh, uh, my concern is funding maybe for education. I think as we move forward, I think that's going to be a big topic. Um, next year, again, we can deal with maybe taking uh, some anti-discrimination language a little bit farther maybe in our state's uh, state statute. And Judd McMillan, one of your lieutenants, uh, Representative Dave Ober, was on the show last week, and mm -hmm. he said, I asked what the upshot of all this was, and he said he thought the caucus would really uh, view things through perhaps a new prism when they analyze bills and the, and the impact. Uh, have you seen any evidence that uh, there's a new, somebody has a new looking glass or some sort of new uh, calculation or metric that's being used? I think any uh, time you have something that raises the level of discussion to the degree that the RIFRA discussion was raised, it causes people to start spending a little bit more time looking at not only what the bill really does, the policy of the bill, but also making sure that, that we spend some time analyzing what the perception will be. Uh, it can be very easy when you're uh, inside the, the limestone walls to just focus so much on the policy and try to get that right that you, you sometimes dis, uh, discount uh, what the perception might be and I do think that people are spending more time now making sure that we're not going to uh, to send a message to somebody that uh, is offensive to anyone. And Carly Maser, do you think that there's opportunities here, uh, you're in the minority party uh, as is uh, in the in the Senate, uh, Senator Stoops, um, super majorities on the Republican side, many Democrats see this as an opportunity looking forward to future elections to score points that this is the baggage, if you will, the albatross surrounds the Republican uh, caucus in each. So I guess on the on one hand, I guess my question is, do you feel the need to get on with the state's business, or is there that political temptation to say, well, we'll stay focused on this for as, as long as we can, because that's certainly uh, arguably to the disadvantage of your opponents. Sure. 
Well, I can tell you, I moved on many, many days ago, personally, and I, I think it's incredibly important that we all stay focused on the state's business and the issues that are really important to Hoosiers. And, um, you know, I, I will say that this is something that resonates with people. I think it's resonated with people, you know, all over the country and nationally and internationally as well. And uh, I, we, we really can't always predict the future, but I, it feels to me like certainly this will something that will hang on and that this is uh, certainly uh, hasn't been a positive for Indiana. And with that economic development and issues that, uh, you know, are a big part of this discussion, we will see how that will continue to go. But certainly as far as um, elections and thinking about that, um, there might be more talk about that as time moves on. But certainly I think that uh, we, we've been focused on the state's business and right. uh, look forward to continuing well, that. We'll shift this discussion then to the other aspect of the state's business. Probably the biggest one uh, on, the, on the agenda is the one that you all have a statutory obligation to actually complete. Everything else, I guess, is sort of optional, but the two-year state spending plan. As we tape this, uh, we're moments away, uh, at the risk of sounding overly dramatic, from the unveiling, the formal unveiling of the Senate uh, caucus plan. Uh, you're a member, of course, of Senate Appropriations as well as Chairman of Tax and Fiscal Policy. I'm guessing you know exactly what's in there. <coughs> Give us a flavor of, of how this might differ from what came out of the House. Yes, let's hear this, Senator Hirschman. Uh, <laughs> you know, obviously the House budget that came to us was strongly focused on investment in education. It's what we've said from the very beginning that we want to do. Uh, this is not only good for our kids, it's good for the future of our state to ensure a well-qualified workforce. I think you're going to see something that reflects the strong investment that the House made in, in education, tempered with the caution of a national economy that is still uncertain. Uh, we just came out this week with a number three ranking in the nation on our economic climate. We've been, seen very strong job growth numbers, but we're only as strong as the national economy is. And so we're trying to make a balance between uh, investment in our future along with maintaining our reserves. I can tell you, and I think I speak for my colleagues, it's a lot more exciting and to fight over money you have rather than money you don't have. And uh, the money we didn't have is not too far in our rearview mirror. Uh, so this, this is a good, uh, good time, good discussion to have. Well, and, you, and you mentioned a couple of uh, announcements this week or uh, proclamations that in, in fact put Indiana, Indiana in a very positive light economically, but we also had some, shall we say, disappointing news this week on Wednesday with the uh, announcement of the March revenue figures, which were, I think, about $18 million below projection, which now that we're three-quarters of the way into the fiscal year, that's upwards of $100 million, I think $109 million. And we don't know until next week when the revenue updated revenue forecast comes out. But do those numbers give you pause, Senator? They or do they make it easier? I mean, I, there is this notion, I guess, that the fewer dollars you have, the, the easier, the fewer arguments there are about how to split it up. It, that's true. Uh, but what we do have is many unfunded uh, needs in the state of Indiana. And the question is, uh, in the past years, we've cut into our revenue. So we've cut taxes in a number of different areas. Uh, and we really haven't had the impact, the full impact of those tax cuts yet. We're just starting to feel them. And some of this, uh, this decline in revenue, I think, is going to probably carry forward. And so what this means to me is that we need to take that money. We have a, 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 a decent reserve at this time, which is, which is great, but we also need to focus on investing in areas that we know will bring us back some savings in the future. Uh, and uh, I, think, I think that's where we have to uh, 
really look and uh, plan for some of these things. Community corrections, um, probation, the, what we're doing with criminal justice now. Uh, moving a lot of, for those who haven't followed is, it over the past years, moving good, individuals back into a community correction setting and you, the idea is you need to have sheriffs and their staffs and right. their jails equipped to, to provide the services that are being So the demanded. House, for instance, proposed $80 million towards a shift from putting people in jail to diversion programs to get people treatment instead, which is really the most, the biggest anti-crime bill uh, I think Indiana has ever had because if these people are committing fewer crimes, uh, they're going to jail less. But that's an example of an investment that will save us uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in future years. And I'll just say, John, sure. very quickly, I've heard the discussion from some of my, my colleagues that uh, we've cut taxes and therefore our revenues down. If you look at one of the major tax cuts we did, corporate tax, our revenues actually outperformed. And it's because we're taking businesses away from other states. Mm -hmm. It's why the governor of Illinois made those uh, amazing comments this week about ripping our guts out. It's because we're taking his businesses, we're taking his jobs, what we're doing is That was working. until last week. Now, now he's taking them. But I'll, I'll take that challenge any right. day of the week. I know you're, the tax climate certainly is an argument that, that, that you all and the Pence administration have made is, is critical to setting the, the kind of framework that will, businesses will find attractive. So we've talked about, uh, made reference to education, made reference to community correction. I know a lot of attention will be focused on the school funding formula mm -hmm. and how it uh, inevitably will change. I mean, the notion that dollars follow students, which we've now heard a, a lot of fierce debate about how that might affect urban schools that aren't rapidly growing, even as it helps suburban schools and, and, and some other. Uh, what do you want to see in that, uh, in that plan? Uh, I'd like to see the Senate just tell us that the House budget was the right thing I to do. I thought you would say that. I thought you would say that. And the uh, chances are? Closer than ever before. Oh, okay. That? That's right. good to hear. Uh, I really am interested in, in making sure that we do continue to fund education. As Senator Hirschman was saying, that's one of the most important things we can do, not just for today's students, but for the future of Indiana. Uh, I, I very, very firmly support the notion of the money following the student. I think it's more important to fund students than it is to fund corporations. Um, and uh, there will be a resulting uh, uh, effect that comes along with smaller schools or schools that are continuing to get smaller maybe seeing less dollars but there has to be more money that goes to schools that are growing because they're going to have to be able to provide more and more services so you know it, it's important that government create mechanisms that allow the dollars to be focused where they where they're needed and the suggestion of course has been that uh, and again you would know the answer so feel free to weigh in that Luke Kenley the uh, chair of appropriations has indicated that he'd like to see maybe more of a buffer or a softening of the impact on on the urban schools. I mean, the Indianapolis Public Schools, I think, under one calculation, was looking at a net loss of $32, 32. million dollars yeah. mm -hmm. uh, in a number of other urban school districts. Yes. How, how much buffer or cushion does there have to be for you to say, okay, this is, this is a fair and, and an equitable system? Wow. Well, I can tell you, I mean, we're, we're deeply struggling right now. Um, you know, our community schools are the foundation of our, our neighborhoods and community, and investing our money in public education, particularly in my community, um, we've had a, a, a devastation to what we're doing. I mean, we focus and help every child that comes to our school, and to do that, we need to make sure that we have the teachers, the classroom sizes uh, to, to educate these children. And, um, you know, for us, it has been um, year after year of loss. And um, I'm anxious to see how everything turns out and uh, look forward to uh, working with our leaders and, and making sure we're providing the funding we need for public education. You know, as we as put more and more, as you all have put more and more of an emphasis on 
education and accountability and, and the, the maintenance of standards and, and gaining certain thresholds in, in knowledge, you know, we've become more and more uh, test-focused, you might say. Uh, yes. Now, the uh, fiscal leaders in the House and Senate said maybe it's time to, rather than spend perhaps $134 million, which is one figure, mm -hmm. about tentative uh, award bids that have been given for some new testing development, let's get something off the shelf. But now, uh, based on some of the committee action this week in the House, uh, it looks as if that would instead go to a, a summer study committee. Satisfactory? I continue to hope that the House will see the wisdom of the Senate on that. I think Hoosiers. So, this is the one won. where you want That's him right. to agree with you. This is the trading going on right here. I think Hoosiers <laughs> would uh, very strongly, not only Hoosier families, but teachers, like to see the ISTEP changed significantly. If we could save money going with an off the shelf test that would provide us uh, results, we do need to have some metrics on how our students and our schools are doing. But if we can do so in an easier way for parents and teachers and a less costly way, I'm all for it. And I'll break the pattern here. You, your caucus, or at least some of your caucus, think that it would be a violation of state statute to go with an off-the-shelf test because it doesn't comply with what law mandate. Is that, is that the opposition or the concern? Well, I think the, the concern is just making sure that whatever test that we ultimately, ultimately utilize is the best for students. Um, and uh, I, I think what you're seeing is saying that we're certainly not opposed to a different approach. I think all of us want to do a, a better job of providing kids a test that they can live with and a test that teachers can, can handle easier. Um, I don't know what that is yet, so what you're seeing is the House say, well, let's, let's take a summer, let's really dig our hands, get our hands around this thing and, uh, and figure out what direction we should go. Any burning thoughts on this issue before I get to common uh, construction wage? Well, I, uh, I want to try to get to as much as we can. But I, I do think that was, there's bipartisan support for removing uh, the testing, the, the really staggering testing requirements in schools, both public and private uh, requirements. But I do want to say mm -hmm. that the House budget did have a, a fairly large increase for public education, and I think that's great. Mm -hmm. But what we have to keep in mind that even with that increase, we're, we're just barely getting above 2008 levels. So schools it's, have it's been... It's the biggest increase in the state of the history. It, 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 in the history I, of the state. I would, that's probably true, but even with that, we're not even gaining back um, what we've lost in... You're talking about because of the reversions that were held back during, during uh, the, exactly, the most recent reversions years with 300, 300 Some of which million. wouldn't... Uh, haven't flown back into the coffers or flowed back into the coffers and probably never will. Well, someone's going to have to explain how adding $469 million doesn't replace 300 to me. No, over over 10 years, so with inflation, we're, we're really not even at an inflation rate recovery. Uh, and at the same time, we have to look at the fact that they're in the voucher program, 60% of voucher recipients never had a child in public school. So now we have uh, public funding going to kids that have never, or parents of children that have never had them in public schools. So Actually, I think we have parents' taxes going to pay for their children's education wherever it happens. It's always struck me as funny that we have a thriving private and public college system in this state, and everyone thinks that's reasonable, and we get student loans, publicly funded student loans, to give students the choice as to which is the best opportunity for them educationally, but we can't seem to do that on K through 12. And frankly, the results are showing that for those kids in troubled school systems, deeply and persistently troubled school systems, it has provided them with a way out. Not in every case, 
but certainly better than what uh, the options were in years past. I'm sure we don't have time for a full mm -hmm. disagreement on my part, but I think we'll disagree the on statistics the statistics. Only if we want to talk about this and nothing else. And I am flexible, though. I'm going to keep education on, on, yes. on the table. One more question, then we'll, we'll move on. Mm -hmm. uh, this week we saw some changes in bills, again, in the House Education Committee. Some would say really designed to weaken uh, organized labor teachers' unions yes. in terms of their ability to represent uh, do you see that as are, are alarm bells going off within your caucus, or do you? Uh, you know, see it, it? the alarm bells are going off in in my community. I was just approached yesterday. You know, we have children, uh, young people that are now in college. That you know, look at the rates of, of people not wanting to go into education. You know, our future leaders. We, we're not seeing them in the state of Indiana. You know, and of course, talking about retirement. Why? I mean, and when we talk about public education, as much as I agree with that, you know, our our pub, I mean, we're failing. So, what about these failing students? I went to one of these schools. I represent the school, and you know, what what about the kids that are that are there? We have to make sure that they receive the education that you know we all dream of. So. I, uh, I can tell you, we have a long way to go. An abrupt shift, if I may. Back in the Halcyon days before RIFRA, and the, we thought that a contentious issue was the repeal, proposed repeal of the common uh, construction wage, which seems almost tame now, I guess, in, in terms of comparison, but still something that your caucus is wedded to see accomplished this session, uh, correct? We are. It's a system uh, that we created many, many years ago. The evidence 80, clears, 80 years ago? 80 I think, years yeah. ago. The evidence shows that it clearly isn't working. A number of states do not have common construction wage, and they have thriving construction industries. We see some examples out there. In Allen County, on the same day, on the same type of project, one common wage in the community was twice that in the city than it was out in the county. It shows that there isn't a common wage, and we need to ensure that we create a fair level playing field for all contractors in this state. And one thing that was added, I should point out, in committee by uh, Republicans was more training requirements uh, and funding, I believe, for uh, workers, apprentice workers and so forth, which I guess maybe addresses a portion of the concern. Fair? Well, I, I don't know if that completely covers it because it doesn't create a, a level playing field. You'll have contractors that want to do the best job, are willing to pay their uh, employees what they deserve uh, to do the job and cover the training they've had. On the other hand, you'll have uh, contractors that will just be using the lowest possible labor rate that they can uh, get somebody on the site for. Very good. That sound you hear is us scratching the surface. Uh, so much more to talk about. I very much appreciate your being here, though, to at least take a stab at some of the key issues. Again, my guests have been Republican Senator Brant Hirschman of Buck Creek, Democratic Senator Mark Stoops of Bloomington, Republican Representative Judd McMillan of Brookville, and Democratic Representative Carly Maser of Indianapolis. Just a few short days to go in this legislative session. Now the race is on to pass a budget. Money talks on the next Indiana Lawmakers. And time now for our weekly discussion with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, lawmakers did seem to find the reset button this week. Were you surprised how readily they sort of returned to action? No, I think they're, they're faced with some deadlines. We're, we're getting ready to finish third readings of the bills, and it's budget time, so it's kind of like finals time for college students. They all know that they've got to buckle down, and they have some deadlines. That brings clarity to uh, the situation, I suppose. The budget, uh, again, with super majorities, uh, we don't have, to worry, have, don't have to worry about special sessions or anything like that. 
it, is this going to be unfolding in pretty much the manner we would have expected after seeing uh, the House uh, budget earlier in the session? Well, probably, but the Senate's going to be doing a, a lot more surgery on the, the House version. And I think you're going to see education spending stay about the same level, even though we're, we're really having some economic problems. The numbers that came out this last week for um, the last month for March showed that we're, again, below estimates, and, and that's not a good thing for the budget. And we've, we've spent seven of the last nine months below these forecasted numbers. So that's going to mean some, some issues for the, the budget negotiators. And Senator Kenley, and the chair of the Senate Committee on Appropriations, is a guy who, who always believes that those numbers are a little bit too optimistic anyway when you get to the, the revenue forecast. And he tends to trim things back. So we're going to see a, a lot of changes in the budget. And I think that the, the one casualty or the set of casualties that you might look for are some of the, the smaller programs that the governor has proposed that legislators have not been too thrilled with, but we're almost willing to give him to this point. The, the upshot or the suggestion being that he has, I don't want to say alienated, but he has lost clout. He has yeah. lost clout. Is that what this is? He's lost clout and doesn't have the ability to deliver, deliver, to deliver some of those pet projects. Well, I, th I think that that's the case. You know, certainly legislators are going to be a, a lot less concerned about the uh, the clout of the governor's office, what the governor governor can do to them or for them, and I think that they'll be willing to to be uh, a little bit more of, of a freelancer kind of uh, thing than they they might have otherwise. And you know, there there are a couple of bills to watch for on that. You know, they've they've always wanted to expand gaming or at least you know do some things that they uh, want to do that the governor views as expansion and i think that, that might be one casualty for the governor you know all of a sudden you know these things that the, the governor doesn't want may be back on the table you know in theory we, there shouldn't be any surprises because everything that's considered in conference committee had to pass one chamber or another but really do you think that there will be some wild card that we're not anticipating Oh, there, there always will be, and, and you never can forecast it even at this point. Oh, very good, Ed. Thanks, as always, for your insight. For more information, episode streams, and extra content, visit us on the web at wfyi.org lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity and Bright House Networks. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Schwannis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media and Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for exclusive web content, including the best advice our guests have ever received. Until next week, take care. What if a robotic arm could help disabled students reach for their dreams? It does. Introducing RoboDesk. To learn more about this and more than 400 other world-changing Purdue technologies, visit otc-prf.org.